The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and John 2, 13 through 17. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this evening. If we haven't met before, uh, my name is Tim. I get the privilege of, of serving as pastor here at Citizens. We have a few weeks left in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I don't know about you, I've had a blast. I personally uh, have really benefited from getting to, to dive in and think about this second part of our discipleship framework, right? That we uh, talked about last fall. We be with Jesus. We abide with him. And then as we've been talking about for the last nine weeks, we become more and more like him by looking at these fruit of the Spirit. Uh, really excited. I hope that it's been beneficial. I've heard some awesome stories of what the Spirit is doing in our church, of friendships that are being reconciled, of people confessing sin for the first time, of a whole host of different things. And so uh, I'm excited. Two more weeks to to continue to dive in to this. I'm particularly excited about tonight. Uh, We were laughing in our production meeting before the gathering that uh, this one is fun because it's two really interesting passages where we're going to look at Matthew 11, this beautiful, rich Jesus declaring, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and John chapter 2, where he's making a cord, making a whip, and driving some people out of the temple. And I want to argue and show you over the next 30-ish minutes that both are Jesus being gentle, that both are him abiding in the fruit of gentleness. So Matthew 11 is where we're going to be first, and then John 2, it's going to take us a minute to get to both of those. Let me pray for us, and then we'll start out by talking about what we're doing. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for the tensions of Jesus' life. God, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, and yet he is full of zeal for your house and for your name and for your glory. And so I pray as we look at your word, God, that, that we will see what it is you have for us, that we will be changed, we will be shaped, we will be molded more and more into the image of Christ through your word and by the power of your spirit. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight our sermon is gentleness in the time of harshness. Gentleness in the time of harshness. Let's start like we have been by first talking about harshness. So for our purposes, harshness can be defined as what is rough, jarring, mean-spirited, or cruel. So to be harsh is to be either unaware or unconcerned about the impact of the force someone can exert on people and things around them. So in our culture, we see harshness both in our actions and in our words. In our actions, this is all over the place. Abuse, mistreatment, fighting, physical violence. This is all over our country and our city right now. 
So in Charlotte in 2020, we had our highest rate of homicides that we've had in over 20 years right here in Charlotte. Violent crimes across the U.S. completely spiked. We saw violent protests across our nation as people who were righteously angry about evil and wrong turned not on the issue but on each other. Their entire websites and TikTok trends and YouTube accounts dedicated to fighting and street fights and violence and brawling and the like. So we live in a time of harshness in our actions, but we also live in a time of harshness with our words. Social media, a 24-hour news cycle which elevates the necessity of hot takes and harshness, where we don't sit down and have empathetic face-to-face conversations, but we just throw hot takes and vitriol and anger at those who disagree and oppose us. We're taught by the culture around us to be harsh and cruel and rough because that's what everyone else around us is going to do. And so you don't pray for, you don't serve, you don't forgive, you don't love someone who is mean to you or your enemy. You cancel, you cut off, you quote, put on blast. Came across a quote from author John Seabrook that I thought really put uh, words to this. He wrote an article called The Coarsening of Our Culture. And he says this, he says, in a crowded marketplace where everyone is trying to be heard and where there's an amazing number of choices, the loudest, coarsest, most shocking voice does tend to be the one that at least grabs your attention for a moment. And since moments are the currency within which modern media trade, that's all that really matters. So in our culture, our time, if you want to be heard, you have to be direct and harsh and mean-spirited and say the unvarnished truth, regardless of how it affects everyone else. And so we're taught and both rewarded for being harsh. But this is nothing new to 2021 America. In fact, in ancient Rome, during the time where Paul writes about the fruit of gentleness, humility and gentleness were not virtues. The ancient Romans actually considered them vices. They were temptations. They were wrong. They were bad. To the ancient Romans, gentleness was this immoral temptation that preyed upon the weak and the vulnerable. They thought a person who sought to be gentle was actually just giving in to laziness. They didn't want to boast about themselves. They didn't want to fight for themselves. They just were giving in. And so gentleness was not a good thing to strive for. It was actually something to be avoided and strive against, particularly for men. Real men were not gentle. They were dominant. Real men were not gentle. They were aggressive. They were violent and they were harsh. In fact, for some uh, in the ancient culture, they had a sport of their boasting. So they would get in uh, kind of this open air place and two men would go against each other and fight and argue and see who could boast about themselves and put the other one down, which is really fun to think about ancient rap battles in that particular way. Maybe just me. So Paul warns the church of Galatia, Galatia, this is off, right? He says in verse 15 of Galatians 5, right before the fruit of the Spirit, he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He says this is the flesh. When he goes on to list the works of the flesh, he says things like hostility, fits of anger, dissension, division, strife, all aspects of the works of harshness, all parts of our flesh. Life apart from God, life in rebellion to God can be marked by harshness. So it's it's the parent who responds not with loving discipline to their child who disobeys, but in anger and ungodly frustration. It's the friend who doesn't overlook or forgive the offense, but instead responds in malice to quote-unquote get even. It's the spouse who doesn't bear with the frustrating habits or tendencies of their husband or wife, but they lash out, they critique, they belittle. It's those of us who justify a coarse word with excuses like, well, I was just speaking my mind, or they needed to hear the honest truth, when in reality, we were hoping not to correct and help, but to harm and to damage. All of these are aspects of the work of the flesh of harshness, roughness, 
violence, cruelty. This is the flesh. But before we turn to gentleness, there's another layer to it that I want to address as well, and that's the unbiblical flip side of harshness in our culture in which we think the proper response is that of passivity. In reaction to an environment or culture of harshness, violence, and aggression, we instead become passive. We say it's gentleness when really it's not. We do this because we have a false idea of gentleness in our society that equates gentleness with a personality trait or a demeanor that simply doesn't engage at all. So if I had to ask you real quick, who's the most gentle person that you know? Chances are you're going to pick someone in your life who has a quiet demeanor, who's a little more reserved, a little more shy, a little more pulled back. What happens is we call it gentleness when really it's unloving passivity or fear or self-protection. We never respond. We never correct. We never stand up for ourselves or for what is right. We never disagree with anyone, at least not out loud. If everyone else is shouting at each other across the aisle, I'm just going to sit back and say nothing, and then I'm going to take pride in the fact that I'm able to sit back and say nothing. In fact, we've actually co-opted and started misusing these ideas of harshness and violence. So in fact, tolerance and inclusivity have become the highest value of our day. So therefore, if I'm going to tolerate you, if I don't want to be harsh or unloving, I'm just never going to disagree with you at all because to disagree is now considered harsh. To disagree in our culture at all, no matter how you do it, is now considered harsh. To be honest, this false passivity, this false gentleness is what many of us in today's Christian culture expect in the gentleness of their pastors. Let me say this clearly. When church leaders use the name of Jesus to manipulate and to coerce and to abuse, that is evil and wicked. We're not going to be slow to say that. It's never okay in any sphere of influence, but especially for those of us within church leadership. And one of the fallouts from our tolerance culture is that we have a wrong view of gentleness and harshness where we equate any amount of spiritual authority or leadership or correction or rebuke from those God has put over us as lumped into the same category. You tracking? We can't throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater, right? Spiritual abuse is real and painful and evil and wicked. And your pastor or your community group leader or a trusted Christian friend lovingly calling you out on sin and trying to bring correction and then calling you out when you can't see the very sin they're trying to tell you about because of your sin, that is not abuse. That is not harsh. That is not unloving. It can be, but just the simple act of it is not. In fact, in Galatians 6.1, right after the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says this. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So there's this call that we as believers are in each other's lives able to point out and lovingly correct sin. And it be in line with gentleness. So gentleness is not harsh. It's not unrestrained aggression. It's not anger. It's not vitriol. But it's also not passivity. It's not soft, it's not weak, it's not cowardly. That's a wrong view as well, and so we need a better way than both. Enter the fruit of gentleness. Let's see this. What is, what is the way of gentleness? What is the fruit of gentleness in the life of Jesus? If it's not harshness, if it's not passivity, what does it mean to be gentle? Well, here's the list of the fruit of the Spirit again for you. Paul in Galatians 5, he says it this way. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That word gentleness there in the Greek is the word proutis. 
and it means gentleness, obviously, or meekness, or humility. And I bring that up because it was a word used pretty frequently in ancient Greek to describe the taming of a wild animal. So if you uh, were to take a lion or an ox or a tiger or something like that in ancient Greek and you were to proutus it, you were to take its strength and tame it for your purposes. So that ox that you tamed wouldn't cease to be strong. That ox would still be, or yeah, wouldn't be weak, right? It would still be strong, but you would have tamed it. You would have proutus it. So when Paul uses that word for gentleness, what he means is that the biblical idea of gentleness is not one of weakness, but of tamed strength. Or, as we're going to define it, and one pastor put it, gentleness is the right stewardship of strength for love. Gentleness is the right stewardship of strength for love. Gentleness is stewarded strength. And this is the key to understanding this fruit. It's not the absence of strength. It's not freewheeling, do whatever you want uh, kind of strength. It's stewarded strength. I think the most beautiful picture of this is a father with a newborn child. Right? There's something beautiful if you're in the hospital right after giving birth. There's something beautiful about a mom and her child, but there's also something unique and beautiful about a father and a child. Right? This dad who has so much strength could do whatever he wants in that situation to crush the child or harm the child, but instead stewards his strength. And in that moment where he's first holding his newborn, it's not that he gives up his strength or he's weak. He stewards his strength. He stewards his strength out of love to protect, to nurture, to keep the child safe. It's a beautiful picture of gentleness. It's stewarded strength for love. And I think it's helpful as we consider how to steward our strength and gentleness to think of some categories. I'm going to give you three. This is how you know if it's gentleness or not. The first category is what is the amount of strength? What is the amount of strength that you are using. Gentleness knows how much push is needed in a particular situation or scenario. I think about this in particular uh, when it comes to my kid. So I have a 19-month-old. Uh, she's super cute and super disobedient at times. And so we're learning, uh, new parents, we're learning how to discipline and when and what. And she does this really adorable, really frustrating thing where she understands uh, not to touch something that we tell her over and over again not to touch. And in her words, her little toddler speaks, she says, no touch. That's her word, no touch. But what happens is, instead of not touching it, she runs up to the lamp in the living room that she's not supposed to touch, and she hits it and goes, no touch. And it's like, no, it's not, this disconnect, that's not how it works. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we discipline? And what does that look like? And she's young, she's not even two. What does this look like? How much strength do we use? How little, what's the appropriate amount? All of this. We have to think about this category of the amount of strength for our gentleness. Second category is the category of motivation. What is the purpose behind my strength? I'll give you a really easy uh, example of this. When you bring lovingly a corrective uh, thing to your spouse, is it because they're annoying you or because you actually want them to grow? Is it because they're just frustrating you, they're getting on your nerves, or do you actually want them to look more like Jesus? What's the motivation? Is it self-protection, self-exaltation, self-fulfillment, or is it actually loving them? Third category is the category of direction. What is the direction of your strength? Am I serving or loving those in need? Am I directing my strength to protect or to take advantage of? The amount, the motivation, direction. So think about the example of a father with his newborn child, right? He's using the right amount of strength in the right direction, his child, out of motivation of love and care. And you have to have all three. If you lack the right amount, the right motivation, or the right direction, it is not gentle. So you can have the right motivations. I genuinely want this person to grow. I genuinely have to say this hard thing because I want them to grow and yet use the wrong amount of force. It's not gentle. 
You can use the right amount of force, but do it with the wrong motivations. It's not gentle. You have to have all three. Gentleness is the right stewardship of strength for love. It's not giving up your power. It's also not the overassertion of your power. It's the redirection of your power in love and service to those in need. All right, let's turn to the Bible. This is what I want to show you from the life of Jesus, this tension that I started with. Matthew 11, Jesus is going to say, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. John 2, he's going to go crazy in the temple. Both are him being gentle. And so what I want to do is I want to look at both passages, and I want to use each to speak to those of us who might lean harsh or those of us who might lean passive or those of us who might flip-flop depending on the context and relationship and situation. So let's look at first at Matthew 11. We're going to read again 28 through 30, and let me speak a little bit to those of us who lean harsh. This is Jesus' words. This is what he says to his disciples. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many of us over the fall uh, are reading through a book together in our men's and women's book studies called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland, and he bases the whole book around these three verses. And in the book, Dane pointed out something that I hadn't really thought about before and that I've still been thinking about since reading it. He talks about how in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only place where Jesus talks about his heart. Now, the heart in this culture is not just the seat of emotions. It's the driving force behind people's lives. And so Dane says, well, this is the one place where Jesus says, this is my core. This is at the core of who I am. And he says it with two words, gentle and lowly. This is how Dane says it. He says, in the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is austere and demanding of heart. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. This is the core of who Christ is. He is gentle. He is proutus. He is restrained strength and service for others. And the invitation from Christ's gentleness, from his lowliness, which is his accessibility to us, is that God would take on flesh and then invite us to come to him. He says to all who labor, who are working to try to prove ourselves, to try to earn something for ourselves, to try to validate ourselves before God and before others, he says, come to me. He says to all of us who are heavy laden, who are suffering or hurting, feeling cast aside and burdened and overwhelmed by the pains of this life, the same invitation, come to me. And if we could just take the church glasses off for just a minute, Right, if we could just stop with the Sunday school lens of like, that's cute, yes, yes, Jesus loves me, and we could just see it. Right, Jesus Christ, God himself, Savior and King, ruling and reigning and holding all things together, invites you to come to him. He invites you to draw near to him. And a large part of us, a large part of me, loves that invitation like, yes, Lord, come. I want to go to you. I want to receive rest for my soul. And another part of us is like, Ugh. we recoil at it. We don't want it. We push back against it. We justify. We make excuses. And so what happens is we become laborsome and heavy laden. We think we have to prove ourselves to the world, to our families, to others, to God, to ourselves. So we go through life and we're hands up and we're ready to fight. That's my boxer thing, hands up. 
We're ready to lash out. We're ready to just, okay, you're going to be harsh. I got to be harsh. I'm not willing to receive the gentleness of Christ on my behalf. And so if you're going to fight me, then I got to fight you because it's a dog-eat-dog world. And so because we don't receive the gentleness of Christ, we then don't know how to turn around and be gentle. So we're harsh. Become harsh people in the amount of force that we use in the motivation, self-defense, self-exaltation, this idolatry of power. We're harsh in the direction, wrong person at the wrong time. Let me put it as clearly as I can with this invitation. If the call for us as followers of Jesus is to become like Christ, which is the whole argument of the series, in case you missed it, and Christ is gentle and lowly, then your harshness is not a personality trait. It's not simply a part of your wiring. It's not a small mental lapse in judgment. It's not just the result of your family of origin. Your harshness is sin, and it is of the flesh, and it is worthy of repentance. And the beauty of it is that Jesus comes to our harshness and says, you can put your arms down. You don't have to fight anymore. You can receive. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is Dane Orland again. He says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness, labor, or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, which is heavy laden, Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips even your own. Jesus' desire that you find rest in him outstrips your own desire to find rest in him. He goes on to say again later in the book, the most natural posture of Jesus is not a pointed finger, but open arms. In our harshness, our posture towards the world is a pointed finger. A pointed finger towards ourselves, a pointed finger towards others. You're the problem. You're what's wrong. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix me. I'm going to fix everything. And so we react in harshness, and yet Jesus with open arms says, receive. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. All right, that's the good news for our harshness. What about our passivity? Turn over to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, this is a fascinating story. It's so compelling. Uh, it's actually in all four of the Gospels, emphasizing the same uh, event, John chapter 2. Uh, in, in the book of John, this comes right after Jesus provides more wine at a wedding, which I think is just fun. Uh, and then he goes to the temple, and he's like, wow, this is what it reads. John two thirteen through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their temples. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your father's house will consume me. Question, do you see the gentleness of Jesus? That was a joke, you can laugh. All right, let me make sure we're clear on what's happening here, all right? So, right, why is Jesus so angry? Like, why is he making a whip? Why is he clearing the temple? What's going on? So, during the time of Passover, which is what uh, this is taking place during, Jews from all over the known world would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate and remember God's faithfulness. The celebration of Passover was to remember how an angel of the Lord passed over their doors in Egypt and spared them, and then God led them out of the wilderness. So, this is a big deal in uh, the Jewish nation. People from all over would come to the temple to worship and offer sacrifices. 
And this group of people have basically set up shop in the temple, basically with this idea of like, all right, if you're on the way and maybe your dove went missing or you forgot a sheep or you forgot a lamb or whatever you were supposed to sacrifice, then we'll just sell you one. No big deal. Here's the sacrifice. Here you go. And so what they were doing was they were taking the temple, this place meant for outsiders to come and experience the presence of God, to worship him, this place that was supposed to be a beacon of God's glory shining into the rest of the world, and they said, hey, we can use this to make some money. They turned it into a marketplace for their own gain, and so Jesus literally makes a whip and uses it to run people out. He overturns the temples, and he scatters their money all over the ground. But wait a minute. I thought Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart, right? Like, I thought the core of who he was was arms open wide, not pointed fingers. So what what is happening here? Well, here's what we know. We know Jesus was perfect, that he never sinned, that he was the spotless lamb, perfect sacrifice. So this can't be him sinning. He can't be sinning as he makes a whip and overturns the temples. And so maybe we say, okay, he's not sinning, but maybe this is like a lapse in judgment. Like maybe he's not like actively rebelling against God, but this is just a moment of righteous anger and he's just not gentle and lowly here. But maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's just like a a shift in the gentle and lowly for a minute. But remember, he says his core and Jesus does not change. He does not waver. So what's happening? Well, it's clear from this example of John 2 and others through the life of Jesus that are really pretty shocking where he calls religious leaders things like hypocrites and brood of vipers and snakes and sons of hell and whitewashed tombs and where he calls Peter, uh, he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Lots of examples that gentleness is entirely compatible with blunt language and direct action. Gentleness is not incongruent with blunt language and direct action because gentleness does not simply mean passivity. It's not simply a demeanor of quiet or silent. Remember, gentleness is right stewardship of strength for love. And that's what's exactly what's happening in John chapter 2. So consider the categories, right? Consider the amount of strength Jesus uses. It's him versus a whole crowd. He has to show them this is a big deal. You are turning my father's house into a marketplace. This is not a time to debate religious rituals or to debate whether this should happen or not. Jesus, this is a serious deal. So he's got to use appropriate amount of strength. Think about the direction, right? He's concerned in love for both the Jews who are traveling from far places to offer sacrifices and for the people's hearts who are making money when they shouldn't, for their greed and their inhospitality. Now think about his motivation, right? John 2.17, the final verse in that passage. The disciples remember there's this prophecy about him that he will be overwhelmed by zeal for God's house. It's the love of God that's driving Jesus. It's his love for these people that is driving him, God's glory, God's exaltation, the good of those who have come to worship him on Passover. And that's why it's gentle. I love how scholar Dan Doriani puts it in writing about John 2. He says, we see then that the gentle can be assertive, but they do not assert themselves. We can be strong and assertive, yet gentle if we leverage power not to assert self, but to promote the cause of God or the needy. Jesus was forceful, even confrontational, yet gentle because he used his power for others. The same holds for us. The question is not how strong we are, but how we use our strength. Jesus is willing to do the hard, confrontational thing that might hurt some folks in the short term because he's after the greater long-term good, God's glory and their good, and that's him being gentle. Let me give you a really helpful way to think about this. Uh, The best way I've heard it explained is the difference between hurt and harm. Hurt versus harm, right? So in hurt, um, let's, let, uh, let me think about it this way. In hurt versus harm, both hurt and harm bring some amount of pain, 
right? But the intent and the goal and the direction matter, and the amount of force matters. So if I'm harming you, I'm intending, because I'm evil or because you hurt me and I'm rebelling, whatever it may be, in harm, I'm intending to inflict the pain. That's the goal. The goal is to make you suffer. If I'm harming you, the goal is that you will experience the pain. You will experience the hurt. I'm trying to get even. I'm just a mean person. Whatever it may be, that is harm. Now, that is different from hurt. Hurt, while it may cause you pain, has a greater goal. It has something else that it is going towards. So if I hurt you for a greater purpose, your growth in Christ Jesus, your correction in an area, our relationship, if I cause you hurt for a greater purpose, God's glory and your good, that is different than harm. Uh, Think about it this way. Think about a machete and a scalpel, right? Both cut. Both can inflict some amount of pain and hurt, right? So if you think about a machete, you're going into a forest and you're just chopping things down. If I was to take a machete to your arm, that would not feel good. And there would be no other side of it, right? It would just hurt and your arm would be off and it would be a lot of blood and it would go very poorly. Now think about if a trusted surgeon took a scalpel to your arm. Maybe you had an infection. Maybe you had something in there they needed to take out. It would still hurt. Maybe you'd be under, like, anesthesia or something. So it wouldn't, like, physically, but it would still cause your body pain. There would still be something there, but there's a greater good. There's a difference between hurt versus harm. Harm says, I'm intentionally trying to cause you to suffer and cause you pain. Hurt says, this is going to cause you pain, but I'm after your greater good. So here's how this plays out into our lives. Some of us right now are mad at someone else in the room. 20 feet away, 30 feet away, because they lovingly brought something to us and it caused us pain. And ironically, we were harsh in our response and we accused them of harm and not being gentle when really it was hurt and they were actually being a better, more loyal, more gentle friend to us in Christ than the 20 other people who were passive and didn't want to hurt our feelings. Some of us are mad because someone in your community group loved you enough to point something out in a loving, tender way, but because it hurt a little bit to see sin in your life, you're actually more mad at them and you say they're more unloving than the other people in your life who say they love you, but were afraid to say something. So we've said, no, cast him aside. You're not gentle. For others of us, we've been delaying or avoiding a godly confrontation that we know we need to have, and we're saying it's because we're gentle and loving and lowly in heart like Jesus when really we're unloving and we're just afraid to do the necessary temporary hurt in order to lead to greater growth down the line because we love people's approval too much. We want them to like us too much. Now, some of us are going to be tempted to take what I just said and go bulldoze into our groups this week. Don't do that either. But to be honest, as your pastor, that's not the threat that I'm worried about for us as a church. Just not. I'm not worried about us taking this sermon and going, you know what, we're going to be harsh. I'm not worried about having those conversations with us about too much harshness or too much direct confrontation or too much pushing in our church. I'm worried about the other side, that we never say the hard thing, that we never care about each other enough to cause a little bit of friction for the greater good of the relationship, the glory of God, sanctification, whatever it may be. I love the way Pastor Gail Irwin says it. He says, gentleness is not apathy, but it is an aggressive expression of how we view people. We see people as so valuable that we deal with them in gentleness, fearing the slightest damage to one for whom Christ died. To be apathetic is to turn people over to mean and destructive elements. To truly love people cause for us to be aggressively gentle. How beautiful of a church would we be if we learned how to be aggressively gentle? Jesus holds that tension so perfectly. He's lowly, kind, accessible, near, and yet he's full of aggressive zeal for God's glory and our good. 
And Christ in that is the perfect embodiment of what has always been true about God. We serve a God who is gentle and lowly. If you notice uh, on the graphics for this week, it's a, a shepherd rod and staff. One of the pictures throughout the Old Testament that is used about God is that he is a shepherd. That a shepherd who cares for his sheep. If you read Psalm 23, it's this beautiful, gentle passage. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. And yet elsewhere in scripture, we see that God as the good shepherd also has to use his rod and staff to make sure that wayward sheep stay in line. They go towards him because sheep are so prone to wander as we sing about in the great hymn. Our God is gentle and lowly and it's in the cross that we have that perfect gentleness of God on full display. Because the cross is proof that God is not passive. God is not passive. We see that in the cross. The sin is a big deal to God. It separated us from him. So he doesn't sit back and do nothing or say nothing. He deals with our unholiness. He has to pour out his righteous wrath and judgment for sin and sinners. So God in his gentleness is not passive, but God in the cross is also not harsh because he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He treats us as Christ deserves, which is love, welcoming in, invitation included in a part of the family, gracious inheritance. So God is compassionate towards us. He's patient. He's kind. He's merciful that all who trust in Jesus are counted as righteousness and welcomed in to the family of God. That's the gentle heart of God that he takes our sin seriously so much so that it leads Jesus to the cross. Now all who trust in his life, death, and resurrection are now have the invitation to receive his welcome as gentle and lowly, to receive forgiveness of sins, to receive life forever, to rest as his children. And it's this very gentleness of God by the power of the Spirit which then changes us and shapes us and molds us and sends us into the world to be more gentle people. That's what we're going to do this week. So you got the practice guide again in your bulletin. It's got two practices on there. Practice one is to receive Christ's gentleness for you. It's got some passages where we want you to just sit with that this week to receive Christ's gentle and lowly heart. The first step in gentleness is not to fake it or not to kind of muster up strength, but to receive Christ's gentle heart. And then practice two is going to be a good one. It's honest conversation. Practice one is good too, but practice two I'm really excited about. Uh, It's honest conversations. I want you to sit down with uh, a friend or a trusted community group member, somebody who loves you and loves Jesus, and ask them one question. Hey, do you experience me as... Uh, passive, as harsh, or as gentle, and why? We're going to open ourselves up to some feedback, to some correction, to some love and care from God's people. So that's the two practices. We're going to look at the gentleness of Jesus, have some hard conversations, and pray that through uh, the power of God's word and the power of his spirit, that he'll make us into more gentle people after the image of Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for Matthew 11 and John chapter 2. I thank you for the tension of the life of Jesus, that at his core, who he is, is gentle and lowly. He's not demanding, he's not harsh, he's not unloving, he's not quick to anger, but he's slow to anger, and he's gentle with us. But thank you also in John 2 that we see this beautiful picture of Jesus, that he is so committed to your glory, that he is about you being made known, his name going forth, his praise going forth on the earth. God, I pray as we consider and receive the gentleness of Jesus for us, God, that we will become more gentle people, that we won't give in to harshness or unbridled anger or cruelty, but we also won't be passive. We won't be unloving. We won't step back out of fear and call it gentleness and deceive ourselves, but that we would be gentle. We would steward the strength you have given us, whatever that looks like, the place you've put us, for your glory and for the good of those around us. And help us to be a people that are aggressively gentle. 
help our church to be aggressively gentle. Lord, we love you. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.